You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem, bismillahir rahmanir rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. You're listening to myself, Samara Angelis, and God willing, we will be with you all the way up until 9 o'clock. So if you do have any questions, any remarks, any comments that you'd like to make, please feel free to do so. The number for you, as always, is 0208-687-7878. And of course, you can hit us up on our socials on Twitter and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. We're talking about some very interesting topics today. Um, if you are familiar with the breakfast show here on the on Tuesday on Voice of Islam, you'll know that we usually speak about three topics, three segments after the roundup of the news. Um, but today we're going to be speaking about two. Um, and the two topics for you today are today's children, tomorrow's future, as it is Children's Day and Children's Month. So that's what we're going to be talking about today in the first uh, segment. And in the second segment, we're going to be speaking about Muslim Jew peace via parallelism, uh, parallelism. Sorry, and uh, that is the main topic of discussion for the next segment. So, if you would like to get involved, please uh, remember the number for you as always is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. But before we get into that, we will be talking a little bit about the news as well and the weather. Um, so, yeah, without further ado, Jalis, how are you doing this morning? Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah Almighty, I am doing well, and of course, I do wish that our listeners are also doing well i wish and pray that they are doing well also very good um and what's the what's the weather looking like today yeah so today we see the south or we'll see heavy showers moving from the west during the morning turning mostly dry with the lengthy sunny spells the uh, in the afternoon the north will remain cloudy with outbreaks of rain uh, tonight, we'll see the north will remain cloudy and outbreaks of persistent heavy rain will continue for many. The south will be largely clear and dry, but Wales and southwestern England will see some showers. Moving on to tomorrow, which is Wednesday, northern England and southern Scotland look set to stay cloudy with frequent outbreaks of rain. Largely dry elsewhere with some spells of sunshine breezy in the south and west and then when we look at the outlook for thursday to saturday we see thursday will be cloudy in northern and western parts as a band of heavy persistent rain moves in from the west elsewhere it will be uh, it will become gradually cloudy as the day progresses but staying mostly dry showers in the far north and northwest on friday Dry with bright periods elsewhere, but heavy rain moves into the southwest by the evening. Wet and windy for most on Saturday. So the week coming days look like they're going to be a band of rain and, you know, wet and windy as well. Mm-hmm. So just uh, continuing with that with that UK weather, isn't it, basically? Yeah. <laughs> um, the newspaper headlines. So we won't get uh, into all of them today because we do have quite a jam-packed show. Uh, David Cameron's return sparks shock, uh, quote-unquote, and begs, uh, Brexiteer backlash. Um, so we, we can see that almost 
All of today's papers lead on David Cameron's surprise return to government after Suela Braverman was sacked as Home Secretary. Uh, the Guardian calls the former Prime Minister's appointment a shock return, quote-unquote, to government and reports that the right wing of the Conservative Party is enraged, quote-unquote, by Mrs Braverman's firing. The paper also features a story about Israeli forces reaching the gates of Gaza's biggest hospital as hundreds remain trapped inside. Um, we can see that uh, most papers, like I said, um, are talking about the this similar theme and similar topic. The Telegraph also leads with reports that the return of David Cameron has triggered an angry backlash among Brexiteer conservatives. Also on the front page is an article based on an interview. Uh, the paper has done with Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick who says that the Rwanda deportation plan must go ahead even if it means leaving the European Convention on Human Rights for this to happen. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, just just I'm, I'm just scrolling through all of them. Uh, the Eye, The Sun, uh, uh, The Mirror, all of them are talking about uh, the same thing. Daily Express as well, uh, as well as Financial Times. Um, the Metro splits its uh, coverage between Sir Bobby Charlton's funeral and David Cameron's astonishing political comeback, quote-unquote. Um, uh, without further ado, uh, I think let's get straight into our main topics. As I said, Jalise, we do have a lot to cover today. Um, and, uh, I mean, they're, they're very interesting and important topics as well. Today's Children, Tomorrow's Future is the first segment for the day. Um, and if you would like to get involved, whether you're, um, you might even be getting your children ready for school, um, or you might uh, be on your way to work, you might be having your breakfast, wherever you might be, uh, do get involved. Remember, this is your radio station, and we love for you to voice your opinion as well. So give us a call, 0208-687-7878. And the Twitter and Instagram handles for you are uh, Voice of Islam UK. Um, so, Jalise, in the vast playground of life, where every adventure begins, lies a world of endless possibilities for the little dreamers. So let's talk a little bit about the history behind the various versions of, of the day and month, isn't it? So we, when, whilst we were doing our research for the show, we saw that um, in Philippines it's a little bit different versus India and the United Nations as well. So different nations or different people have uh, different backgrounds when it comes to this. Could you enlighten our listeners a little bit about this, please? Yeah, of course. So just before I get into that, I just want to mention that you know in the segment we have you know, today's children which is tomorrow's future. And this basically emphasizes the importance of investing in the well-being, education and uh, development of children as they are the future leaders, innovators and contributors to society. You know, celebrating Children's Day or month is a way to, um, you know, acknowledge the significance of children and to promote their you know, welfare. And, you know, we will get into the aspect of what Islam says about this and how uh, Islam has laid great emphasis on the uh, upbringing of children and their, their, their spiritual and uh, moral nourishment and, of course, their, you know, education as well. But like you mentioned, um, the history behind the various versions of the day and month 
uh, is basically that the 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 National Children's Month was established by the President of the Philippines in 2015, you know, which continues on to be an official celebration. In the Philippines, November is the National Children's Month, coinciding with the adoption of the Convention on the Rights of the Child by the United Nations. The theme for the first uh, month-long celebration was our first, uh, our focus is the health, uh, mind and welfare of every child. The history often involves a recognition of importance of advocating for children's rights and you know, well-being. For instance, as the as a third world country, the Philippines has a vast majority of families uh, reporting financial struggles. An important part of this month is acknowledging the needs of the children who suffer the most and then evaluating how to meet their needs throughout the coming year. Now, if we move on to India, we see that India Children's Day is celebrated on November 14th, you know, commemorating the birth anniversary 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 excuse me, of the first Prime Minister of India, who was known for his affection towards children. It is believed that, um, you know, he, uh, the first Prime Minister, obviously being Nehru, it, it, it is believed that he was known as uh, Chacha Nehru, um, you know, by children, because he believed that children were the strength of India. Mm. Um, you know, he emphasized the importance of nurturing and guiding children to become uh, responsible and in and enlightened citizens of the future. Now, I mean, I mean, and just to, for for our listeners who may be unaware with uh, of the of the of the term of the uh, of what chacha actually means. Well, so chacha in in Urdu or in Hindi um, is is basically a, an uncle, uh, a paternal mm. uncle, which is younger than your father. Um, and so it's a, it's a, it's a sign of love um, and the affection that he shared with the with the children of India. Obviously, because of that, and that was reciprocated by the children and their, their parents and things as well and that's why he was uh, th- this this term was coined for him uh, Chacha Nehru which is which is quite a loving thing uh, if, if you think about it, isn't yeah, it indeed indeed I mean uh, of course you know being the first prime minister as well and you know showing that uh, having a title like this it shows uh, yeah I mean um, it shows that he did um, have ha- 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 believed that children were of course the strength of uh, India and of course, as we said it in the in our uh, in the prior, we just said that you know today's children are basically tomorrow's future. Who will be, uh, you know, they will be taking over the, this. Ge- the future generation is ba- uh, the, this today's generation is basically the future. So the more we invest in our children, um, you know, now is basically investing in a brighter and better future. When we look at the uh, United States, November is not. Uh, designated as a specific children's month. However, you know, there is a uh, national adoption month also observed in November, which focuses on on uh, raising awareness about the adoption of children in foster care. Uh, further, there's you know Ch- child safety and protection month, which is also in November, and that emphasizes the importance of um, keeping children safe and you know promoting their uh, welfare. Um, the uh, leagues of nation now you know the the idea of a day dedicated to children was was first suggested by the world conference for the well-being of children in uh, geneva in 1925 you know so that's almost that's 98 years ago and 
Universal Children's Day was established by the United Nations General Assembly in 19 <coughs> excuse me in 1954. Um, the Secretary General of the United Nations led the um, initiative for education of children in September 2012. Um, first and foremost, he wanted every child to be able to attend school by 2015. Secondly, to improve the skill set acquired in these schools. And lastly, carrying out policies concerning education to promote peace, uh, peace, environmental concern and in you know, high regard. Now, the, the the so so we know the the history behind the, you know the various versions and days you know it it, it has a very uh, history uh, a deep history that has um uh, various various um you know various countries uh, celebrating it on various other days and we do have um we 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 do have various islamic aspects that we will get into this as well um where we we know that the holy quran and islam it teaches a lot about the upbringing of children, and it even has prayers that we can recite for our children and for the you know future generation. But before we do get into that, we do have with us a guest. Uh, our, our first guest for the um, uh, for our first segment is um, Alison, who is a director in uh, Kids in Museums. Uh, so, director of Kids in Museums, Alison has worked in the cultural sector for around twenty years with previous roles at LAM, uh, LAMDA, the National Youth Orchestra of Great Britain, South Bank Centre and the Academy of Ancient Music. She has a long-standing interest in museums and how people engage with heritage, having been a volunteer at Handel House Museum, now Handel and Hendrix in London and the completing degrees in cultural memory of the University of London and history at the University of Cambridge. Her favourite her favorite museums are the Welcome Collection and the People's History Museum. Outside of work, Alison was, uh, for many years, keen uh, a keen musician and has performed in most of the UK's leading concert uh, halls, including the Royal Albert Hall, as part of the BBC Proms. She is currently a listening volunteer for Samaritans. Was a volunteer for Young People's Helpline. The mix for seven years and has uh, mentored for arts emergency and institute of fundraising. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the breakfast show. Thank you very much for inviting me on. It's great to be here, and thank you for being with us. Um, we are talking about a very important uh, topic, um, which is, of course, children uh, about children. You know, today's children being tomorrow's future um just getting into it uh first of all congratulations congratulations on um your 20th birthday um you know could you please start by sharing your story with our listeners um do you mean about kids and museums yes please yeah okay so kids and museums was founded 20 years ago by a journalist called Dee burkett um she visited the Royal Academy with um, her young child and he um, shouted enthusiastically at one of the statues on display and as a result, Dee was asked to leave the gallery. Um, following that incident, um, Kids and Museums was born out of the feeling that it was really important that children were welcomed and involved in museums. Um, they didn't have to sort of be silent. They were free to enjoy museums on their own terms. 
and we have campaigned and supported museums to deliver that ever since. So one of the most important aspects of our work is our manifesto. So our manifesto sets out six easy things we think all museums should be able to do to make a great visit for children and families. And the manifesto is based on things families tell us about museum visits. And that can be anything from them wanting there to be lots of chairs to sit down on and a bottle warmer in the cafe, right up to them wanting museums to reflect upon contemporary social issues like the climate emergency that they feel are really important for them and their children to learn about and consider for the future. We run a range of training programs for museum staff to help them work better with children. We have an annual award for the most family-friendly museum in the UK, which was recently won by a small local museum in North Yorkshire called Craven Museum, which is in the town of Gipton. And coming up on Friday, we have an initiative called Takeover Day. And Takeover Day is a day where children and young people go into museums and do adults' jobs for the day. This gives them a really good idea of the wide range of careers that are available in museums, but also enables them to feel really comfortable in museum spaces, which is really important. Mm -hmm. So that kind of sums up the work of our charity, which is really all aimed at giving children and families better experiences so children can get the most out of museums because we know that museums are really important for children's learning, children's well-being, and um, they can even support sort of future outcomes like civic part participation. Indeed, indeed. I mean, of course, you know, um, children... Uh, being the future, um, of course, the more we, we, we do look after our children, the more we are uh, safeguarding a very peaceful and, 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 and uh, you know, a, a great future uh, as well. Of course, you know, uh, me, myself, being uh, Muslim as well and, you know, the following in Islam, we, we, we are always taught that looking after our children, raising our children to be the best uh, uh, morally and spiritually and of course to serve uh, mankind in the best way uh, that they uh, possibly can um, of course Islam as well emphasizes a great deal on um, you know the uh, upbringing of children and the the t teaching them and, uh, and and the seeking of knowledge as well so you know, it's, it's very it's very good um, to hear you know, uh, to hear hear this as well that this is of course one of your tasks as well um uh, would you would you like uh, to present just just uh, an example of, of when you have helped a child uh, thrive so uh, any case studies which you know our listeners could i'm sure if, when they listen to it they will it will, it will be very you know beneficial for for our listeners okay so um i guess the best example would be um to do with takeover day so on takeover day, children go into museums and do adult jobs. And what we do is we ask the children before takeover day what they think of museums and whether they'd like to work in a museum. And what we generally find they think of museums is that they are kind of boring, sort of stuffy, old places that don't, they're not very interesting, they're not very fun, they're not very creative. 
and they're not really places that they want to visit. So after taking part in Takeover Day, so doing things like um, working with museum objects, um, giving guided tours, um, creating exhibitions, uh, learning about other roles like working in a museum shop or being a security guard, we find this really changes what they think about museums. So after Takeover Day, they tend to tell us that they feel like museums are really creative places. They feel much more comfortable and confident as a result of participating in Takeover Day. And they are much more keen to visit a museum again. Um, over 80% of the children who participate in Takeover Day say that they want to go back to their local museum as a result. So we feel that that is having a real impact on children's engagement with museums, which in turn is going to help them to thrive because of all the things that engagement with a museum can offer them. Yeah. And equally, they're learning about museum careers. So um, we know that people who've taken part in Takeover Day have then gone on to... Um, study different subjects at university and start working in the museum sector. Indeed, indeed. I mean, of course, you know, uh, we're, we're children having such, you know, creative minds and being able to uh, learn so many things, um, you know, they're, they're just ready to absorb knowledge. It's, it's very good where, when children do, do go to, you know, museums, um, you know, and of course, you know, who knows, uh, uh, any visit to even, let's say, a, his, a history museum can maybe spark something within uh, anyone, a, a child who then goes on to become a very... Uh, who, who who has a very great passion for history as well. So of course, uh, you know, museums uh, indeed are a great thing for children. Where when it comes to, you know, sparking uh, the 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 want for knowledge, the the quest for knowledge, and um, uh, I believe uh, it's, it's a very it's a very uh, good way for children, of course, to 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 start their 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 learning. Um, uh, through museums, of course, through school and museums and various activities like this. Um, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you very much for answering our questions. We hope you have a lovely day and a beautiful week ahead. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Um, it's been really great to be able to tell you more about our charity. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye. Zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. That was Alison Boyer from the uh, from uh, a, a director of kids in museums. Um, like we mentioned earlier, she's worked uh, in the cultural sector for around twenty years with previous roles at uh, LAMDA, the National Youth Orchestra of Great Britain, Southbank Centre, and the uh, Academy of uh, Ancient Music as well. We're going to be going straight to our next guest, uh, Anthula Kutsudi, uh, who is a lawyer who has also undertaken postgraduate training in psychotherapy. During 27 years in legal practice in London, she undertook uh, criminal defence work which uh, brought her into frequent contact with people carrying trauma. Many of her clients came from very challenging uh, family backgrounds and issues where uh, which were commonplace with the clients included alcohol, uh, alcoholism, drug abuse, criminality, serious violence and mental ill health. Uh, she was very struck by the uh, conveyor belt of repeat offending with the same clients in and out of court prison with no intervention to break the cycle of offending. Um, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. 
Good morning to you. Thank you uh, for, for, for being with us today. Um, we're speaking about uh, a very interesting topic and a very important topic as well. Um, and uh, I mean, when, when we're talking about children of today um, and, and which is our future uh, tomorrow, then the, the, uh, a common uh, thing that we see uh, between uh, the adolescent ages and between children who are growing up as well, um, they might have these difficulties, uh, whether it be them going through it themselves, whether they've seen it uh, in, their, in, their, in the environment that they're living in or even in the households that they're in. Um, the things that we mentioned in your bio as well, for instance, uh, alcoholism, drug abuse, criminality, violence, uh, mental health, uh, health issues as well. Um, when we see uh, people going through such a thing, how can we assist, um, and and how can we also become sort of ambassadors as well in in uh, in helping this this uh, campaign of yours? Okay, well, basically, we've got this campaign called Seventy Thirty. We believe it's very very achievable to reduce the trauma in people by at least seventy percent um, in their early childhood. Uh, by the year 2030. So how are we going to do that? Well, basically, we talk about what we call adverse childhood experiences. Um, Many children, many, many more than you would think, suffer trauma in early childhood. And it's not healed, it's not dealt with, and they carry that through their lives, and it impacts them and society. And the trauma isn't just from people in Ukraine or the Middle East. It's it's everywhere. Um, and it happens because um, children are not receiving, many children are not receiving the care that they need in their very, very tender years. And this isn't about making parents and families wrong, by the way. Mm. Uh, we all try and do our best. Uh, but um, the fact is we don't spend enough money supporting families, um, getting them the help they need in those early years. So a lot of our work is working with um, local authorities, politicians, um, organizations like police and so on to educate them on the science of baby brain development. Now, it sounds technical, but actually it makes a massive difference because mm-hmm. um, if you're not training all the professionals and the politicians properly, A, they're not doing their best for people that they can, and they want to. Most of them really want to help. And B, you're not equipping them to be effective. Um, So the way it happens is two ways. Firstly, we prefer that it's done very early in the first three years of life because that's when the formation of the person is is being made. Mm -hmm. Um, The other way is to help people, the professionals, be more effective uh, with the older young people and adults who carry that trauma through their lives. And we're doing a lot of this, we're doing it all over the UK, um, and it's having quite a big impact because um, if you look at babies, for instance, we've brought programs to the UK which have helped over uh, 80,000 families. It sounds like a lot. Yeah. Actually, it's not. Not, in, not when you think of the numbers of children who are not receiving the care they should. Mm. And then with the um, professionals at the coalface, the professionals handling all the issues, whether it's social workers, whether it's probation workers, whether it's prison officers, whether it's police, 
whether it's local authorities, whether they're housing departments, all the services, they really love the training we do with them because they, they, they feel they're making a bigger difference. They feel they understand better. And certainly the people that come to them see a big difference in the services they're receiving. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you mentioned, early intervention is absolutely crucial, like you mentioned, from three years of age. We we actually, um, within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we, we say that the, the moral upbringing of a child um, starts from, from when, the, when uh, the baby is even conceived. Um, and even when uh, the child is in the womb, um, there's, a, there's a narration of uh, the, our first caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community uh, who said that I, I, I remember um, that my mother would recite the Holy Quran whilst uh, mm. I was in uh, I was in the in, in the in the belly as well. Mm. So it just goes mm. to show that when when we when we make these changes in our lives, whether it's stopping uh, drinking alcohol or stopping smoking or other such things, and look after our diet when we're pregnant and other such things as well, um, we we also need to d- take these things into uh, action as well and think about the the way that we spend our time and whatever we do. Obviously, mm. children they they're like sponges, isn't it? They yeah. they just soak Absolutely. everything up uh, whether mm. it's good or bad they don't have that filter growing up mm. so so whatever they see they just soak it up and and learn from from their parents and from whatever adults that they see within their lives um, and that's why it's essential for us to actually be good role models for our children and yes. this is actually uh, in complete accordance with with what islam says mm. as well you, you mentioned um that a lot of people go through trauma and it's not just people going through difficulties like what's happening in Ukraine or other such places um w- would you agree to that uh, to, to the to, to a statement that maybe all of us it, it could be very minuscule it could be very small um but we all go through some kind of trauma uh, and and it's just about th- we 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 need to tackle it somehow um and maybe a lot of us just bottle it up inside us uh, don't speak about it and because we don't seek that uh, that professional help and assistance um is that something that you would recommend oh you've made some really good points Firstly, pre-birth, absolutely. You know, talking to your baby before it's born, playing it gentle music, the baby listens and hears what's going on even before it's born. So that's a wonderful point you made. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondly, the uh, fact is science shows very, very clearly that when people take drugs or alcohol um, or do other harmful behaviours to themselves or to others, most of it comes from a deep-seated trauma. We see that because we've got what's called the Hearts of Ace peer support group. These are people who've been the most horrible lives. And they all, they all tell us, and we know, we've known for years, that people um, resort to trying to run away from their problems by burying themselves in alcohol or drugs or something else. Mm. But carrying trauma, um, yes, it needs to be healed. Um, and... We've got the Child Adolescent Mental Health Services, CAMS, but it's overwhelmed. It's overwhelmed because too many people carry trauma. And you're right, a lot of us carry trauma. I have trauma from childhood. A lot of us carry trauma and we bury it or we don't deal with it. Some of us are antisocial, some of us are not. Some of us have um, self-esteem issues. You know, in the UK, at least half the population have got at least one trauma. It might not all be from childhood. It might mm. be from other things that have happened. You know, it could be um, 
societal or, or cultural or, or something else. But um, half the population carry trauma and a lot of us just live with it. Yeah. And we could have much happier, healthier, more successful lives if we handled it. The services are overwhelmed. They're not actually coping. And unless you're on um, a, a suicide watch list, you could be waiting for years for treatment. And even then, the treatment that's offered often isn't effective. And we know this because we've been healing people for years and successfully. And um, how you heal trauma is not talking therapies, which can be helpful for a low-level trauma, but CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy and talking yeah. therapies, are not going to dig out and help you get rid of deep-seated trauma. So there are um, ways to handle deep-seated trauma. One of the ways is uh, what we do with violent offenders, but it's not available in the UK, it's very successful, but it, it's available in America, and obviously it's costly. But the other one is available in the UK, uh, very successful, very gentle, um, and very well established in the UK. It's called um, Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, and it's often referred to by its initials of E M D R. Mm -hmm. And it's um, sometimes it's available on the National Health Service, but often it's not because it's not as widespread as we want it to be. Um, and sometimes you have to pay for it. But if you know someone who's deeply traumatized, whose life isn't working, they're act acting um, in ways that you think are, are strange, they could have a deep-seated trauma that's showing up in all sorts of ways. And EMDR is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And it will be the biggest and best investment anyone has ever made in their life to get that. Um, in respect of 7030 campaign, we have um, a very large volume of volunteers around the country. Um, and what they are doing is we, we train them, we, we give them the, 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 um, the information and knowledge they need. And they talk to the MPs, they talk to local councillors, they talk to local authorities, they talk to services, um, explaining some of this and explaining that we, we can change the UK. We can make it a really wonderful place. But to do that, we've got to get enough people to talk to enough people that make decisions to persuade them to understand how investing in families in the very early years, um, how that can be transformative for the whole country for benefiting everybody. Mm. And they can talk to local authorities and how they can take on trauma training to train the professionals to be more effective. With trauma training, we know that many professional people, some of the, many, funnily enough, a lot of people who carry trauma go into the caring professionals to help others because they understand the pain. Yeah. But if they're not properly trained, they can re-traumatize, not with, a, not with intention, by, by not even not knowing enough. They could say something or do something that could re-traumatize already very traumatized people. Mm. So these are some of the things we're doing. Um, we are a very small charity. We don't have a lot of money. Thank you very much, Ahmadiyya, for your past support because you have supported us and we've been to one of your annual dinner events. Um, in modern, mm -hmm. and uh, we we would obviously very welcome 
financial support, but also we'd love to have many of you joining the ambassador group um, and we coach you and help you and support you how to talk to your local MPs, your local councillors, um, decision makers, people that um, run trainings and so on and so forth. Um, so there's some of the things that you can do to help. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, it's it's, it's all about community cohesion. It's all about getting together mm. for for, mm. for the good of mankind, not for the good of mm. you or for me, but rather for helping and assisting other people. So it's uh, it's brilliant that you mentioned that as well. And, and, and I'm sure our listeners uh, can uh, uh, and will um, get involved with that as well. Do you, do you have uh, maybe a website or something that you'd like to share yes. in which they can, yeah? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, the websites are easy to find. If you put www.com, and then put wave trust one word w a v e t r u s t dot org o r g it'll all come up and you can see there's a lot on our website mm-hmm. and there's a part and the menu right at the top which um, you click in and go straight in and it uh, you can do an online application form to become an ambassador yeah awesome oh, oh. To donate, whichever you wish to do. Perfect. But do look at the website. And for those who love reading, I would say go to the resources page and you'll see all, all our reports there. We've written reports for uh, departments of health, departments of education, uh, metropolitan police, um, uh, and health boards, and all sorts of people. And those reports are all free to read and download. And uh, they're very interesting because they te- contain. 27 years of information, science, um, our work, lots and lots of detail in there, but also it's very readable. It's not in technical language. And that's one of the things that's good about them. The other thing is we've also got some infographics, which again, you could print off. Um, and there's one particular infographic, which is great. It's about 7030 and it's on one page or is it two? I can't remember now. But anyway, you can print it and put it up in your workplace. You can print it and show it to people when you're going to meetings. Um, things like that. Awesome. Um, it, it was uh, lovely speaking with you, and, and I'm, uh, I'm sure our listeners and uh, Jalees, you, you'd agree as well. We could speak for you for, for hours on end because this is such a topic uh, which is so, uh, so so it's imperative uh, to to say the Absolutely. least, and it's uh, it's something Absolutely. that's it's an ongoing cycle in which we always need to tackle. Um, yes. So our, our hat does uh, go off to you and uh, and to Wave Trust as well. Thank you for all the work that you're doing, um, and, and hopefully thank you for what you're doing. <laughs> thank you for what you're doing. You're very welcome, and we'd uh, we'd love to have you on uh, in the future as well. Of course, uh, you mm. are you have come here um, physically as well, so so, mm. so that's awesome. Yes. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you on again as well. Okay, keep up your good work. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Likewise, bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you. That was Anthula Katsudi, uh, who's a lawyer who has undertaken uh, postgraduate training in psychotherapy. Um, in in one of her projects, uh, she, where she co-delivered the uh, an end to violence project to a group of eighteen to twenty five uh, year olds uh, in a Surrey prison over three years after their release, uh, only one of the group had reoffended, uh, and at the time, the national statistic for reoffending was forty six percent within the first year of release i mean uh you know when when we when we hear uh, things like this it, it does you know give hope you know for a better future of course investing in uh, our youth investing in today's children of course is akin to you know a better future 
a peaceful future and a very more prosperous future. Um, we do have with us our next guest, Dr. Dr. Carol, who is the chief executive of UK's first children's charity, Coram. Uh, Carol started her career setting up print media enterprises before becoming director of marketing and development at the University of Westminster, later moving to the British Museum in 1999 as its first director of marketing and public affairs. Her affinity for improving the lives of young people led her to the position of commercial director for the Prince's Trust in 2003, and she became Chief Executive of Coram in 2007. Um, formerly a member of the Youth Justice Board for England and Wales, Carol served on the Adoption Leadership Board for seven years and is a continuing member of the Association for Child and Adolescent Mental Health. She was chair of the National Autistic Society for 10 years and is now chair of Diabetes UK. Uh, Carol was awarded a CBE in 2013 for her contribution to services for children and families. Uh, Dr. Carol, peace be upon you. Welcome to The Breakfast Show and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much and good morning. Good morning, well, likewise to you. And uh, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, we are, of course, talking about a very, very um, important topic you know children you know today's uh, being being the future uh, generation of course who 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 you know uh, who, who are basically you know of course the future of course the today's children are the future and um, we do have uh, a couple of questions of course with us and, and we would like to ask you so first of all can you provide an overview of uh, you know quorum's mission and um, and vision and how the uh, how these guiding principles shape the organization work in you know championing Christ, uh, ch children's rights and you know well-being yes thank you well uh, quorum is as you say the world's first and longest continuing children's charity um, and has always been dedicated to the rights and welfare of children from those earliest days when there was no safety net um, in the early 18th century when Thomas Coram created the, the charity as what was called then the Foundling Hospital, being a place where children who were destitute and abandoned on the street could be cared for and have an education and support into employment. But today, Coram is a group of specialist organizations all addressing the ways in which we can ensure that children have uh, a better chance in life to create better chances for each individual child we work with, but also to address how we ensure um, that the odds are not stacked against any for the future. So that means that we continue to ensure that we support children to have a loving home, uh, wherever that may be, um, whether that is through uh, the, the needs for kinship care or fostering or adoption. Uh, we continue to support children to ensure that their voice is heard in the decisions that matter. We're a leading advocacy organization for children. Too many children who are um, in and around uh, the, the need for support by social services um, don't get heard in what matters to them. Mm -hmm. And we, where necessary, we will provide for children access to justice. So legal representation, uh, for example, in the areas particularly of education, family and um, 
immigration law, which can be extremely complicated and very difficult uh, to navigate. Um, and we provide extensive support to children themselves in developing the skills that they need for life uh, through work extensively across the country with thousands of schools. So there is a great many services that Quorum provides. But at the root of it is the values that Quorum has, those values of respect and those values that the child must always come first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's good to hear <clears throat> you know, such work uh, you know, for for children and for orphans as well. Of course, you know, in Islam, we also believe that you know there's great uh, emphasis and importance has been given to um, not only raising children and 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 looking after their uh, their well-being, but of course, uh, Islam also uh, go, uh, emphasizes the importance of looking after orphans as well, and you know, providing for them and helping um, wherever maybe. Of course, even our uh, the 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 Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Uh, e- even um, he, he of course, his his parents, uh, you know, passed away. Um, you know, at, at, and when he was at a young age, so he was also an orphan, and then he was raised by his uncle. And he he also great uh, laid great emphasis, um, you know, to to look after the well being of orphans. And he 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 even uh, said that though uh, a person who looks after and often and you know le- clothes them and feeds them and you know provides for them you know he, the holy prophet said that, that paradise you know heaven is guaranteed for us uh, for a person so of course islam you know does lay great emphasis on you know looking after orphans and it's 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 really wonderful to hear that you know the, the work that you are doing as well in this regard as well um, yes indeed i mean this is these are shared values of common cause um, for us all to ensure that children um, have the support that they need yeah. in families and communities of, of tolerance and, and support and access to education. And we are privileged to work with many community organisations and many schools um, to those ends. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, you know, g- given your extensive experience, including, you know, serving on the Youth Justice Board, how can organisations and, you know, policymakers uh, better advocate for rights uh, for the rights and interests of young people in today's complex you know, societal landscape. This is such an important and profound question. And firstly, the great importance of actually being there for young people, um, including them, welcoming them, um, because this importance of safety and belonging uh, that young people feel that they have a place that they can return and people that will stand by their side. Uh, This cannot be overestimated, uh, especially for young people who've been uh, marginalized in some way or had very traumatic experiences or have special educational needs or disabilities. So I commend the work of organizations in local communities across the country for that vital role that they play. What Quorum tries to do is to assist in this by being a source of specialist advice and expertise. So particularly um, in relation to uh, the law and realizing legal rights, uh, whether that's remaining in school or whether that's uh, young people who've uh, been in trouble with the police. It's really important that every young person in those circumstances gets access to the specialist advice they need 
So Quorum works to, in partnership with community organizations to ensure that uh, we have a great many resources and information that's available both to young people and families and to community organizations uh, to help with the navigation of these very complex issues. So as an example, we're working locally in North Kensington with an organization to support them to tackle disproportionate educational school exclusion, um, which can blight the lives uh, of young people. Um, by combining our legal expertise with their specialist knowledge of the community and their support work for the family and with the specialist assessment by our creative therapists. So that's just an example. And I think the partnership work um, is extremely important and that loving support uh, of a community that cares. Indeed, indeed. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful to hear, uh, to hear this work and it's wonderful to hear that there and you know are uh, organizations looking after you know um you know children and orphans and of course um you know hats off to you um you know thank you for joining us we do hope you have a beautiful day and a wonderful week ahead thank you so much thank you very much Zero zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you that was dr carol humden uh, who is the chief executive of UK's first children uh, children's charity, Quorum. Um, and we've heard a lot uh, about that as well. And it's beautiful how we see different organisations and different charities um, doing their bit to really help out and assist uh, in this crucial matter, isn't it? We know how important it is uh, to to look after our children, uh, look after the our future uh, as well. And, and looking after our children is, in fact, looking after our future um and the the the, the one of the mottos um that the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya muslim community of uh the promised reformer uh of Qadian, may uh, allah have uh, mercy on his soul and be uh, peace be upon him um he mentioned uh the second caliph uh, that uh, um uh, the n- nations cannot be reformed without the reformation of the youth um, and this meaningful statement, uh, I mean, we've, we've heard the the successors, the current caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mirza Masoor Ahmed, uh, may Allah strengthen his hand, and the others as well talk extensively about this. Um, when uh, And this was actually when Majlis Khudam al-Ahmadiyya, this is an auxiliary organization within the community of uh, male adults between the age of 15 and 40. Um, and this was actually founded back in the 31st of January 1938 by, like I mentioned, the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed. Uh, may, may Allah have uh, mercy on his soul and be pleased with him. And he was, in fact, actually the son of uh, the promised uh, Messiah upon whom be peace as well. So it's a it's a beautiful thing uh, which he created. He he made different auxiliary organizations, um, and the the motto of this one, as we can see, that nations cannot be reformed without the reformation of the youth, is such an astounding one, where um, it it beautifully lays out a picture for us in which. Uh, um, he, he, he's telling us uh, and addressing us and speaking about the importance of looking after the children of today. Indeed, indeed. I mean, when we look at the teachings of, you know, of Islam, 
you know, and uh, like you mentioned, the, the second caliph as well, such a brilliant quote, uh, such a profound quote with so much wisdom, so much knowledge in there. And, you know, if 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 um, if during today, if anyone is to, is to simply just follow this, they are guaranteed a bright future. I mean, when we look at the hadith, uh, the sayings of the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. We find that he has spoken extensively about, you know, uh, looking after and the upbringing of children and looking after the uh, the moral and spiritual upbringing of the children and and, ma- and making making sure that they are, uh, you know, the uh, a a good asset to uh, mankind and you know uh, to humanity. And there's a hadith, a famous hadith that you know comes to mind is when the Holy Prophet um, he said that. إِنَّهُ مَنْ لَا يَرْحَمْ لَا يُرْحَمْ And he said that, you know, in accordance to showing affection and mercy to children, he said that a person who does not show mercy to uh, to children will will not be shown mercy f- from uh, God Almighty. And, you know, there is another, uh, another uh, incident, another narration where, you know, there's a, a, a person, um, you know, the Holy Prophet was, was known for, you know, looking after children and showing great affection and love to children as well, um, you know, respecting them as well. And, you know, there was once a companion who asked the Holy Prophet that, you know, you, you, you show affection to children. And the Holy Prophet replied that, of course, of course I do. You know, I, 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 I love them, I respect them and, and you know, I uh, their happiness, you know, uh, you know, in, um, in in the their happiness, the children's happiness is is something that, you know, was was very brought very a much joy to the Holy Prophet as well, and so the companion said that he, um, you know, he 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 mentioned um, that he did not uh, show such affection to his own children, and the Holy Prophet, you know, replied in such profound words. He said that what can I do if God Almighty has taken that affection out of your heart? So, you know, it, it shows that, you know, the Holy Prophet was was uh, saying that it's it's important to, to respect, to love and show affection to children, have mercy on children as well. And th- there is another um, hadith that uh, the Holy Prophet said that, you know, your children have the right of receiving equal treatment as you have the right that they should honor you. And then there's another hadith where akrimu awladakum wa ahsanu adabahum that be respectful to your children and instill good manners in them. You know, and uh, uh, there's so much that uh, Islam uh, can, um, has has uh, said about you know raising children. Even Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, the promised Messiah and Mahdi. He followed his master. He followed the Holy Prophet, like night, you know, follows day. And uh, he was very, uh, as he was the reflection of the uh, the um, the Holy Prophet and the promised Messiah, would also treat children with compassion and guide them in, you know, in the kindest manner, without hurting their feelings and respect. And there's a quote that I'd like to share with our listeners. I would like to share that the the promised Messiah, Hazrat Ghulam Ahmed, he said that the prayers of parents for their children. And children's for their parents are always pleasing to God, um, and we see that even in the Holy Quran, there are, and, and Islam, there are various prayers that parents are told to uh, to 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 recite. Um, you know, for example, Rabbi habli min ladunka that my Lord grant me from yourself a good offspring. And then we have Rabbi habli min my Lord bless me with righteous offspring. 
and and there's another one where where we we, we pray that Rabbi Jalni Mukimus Salata Mukimusalati Rabbana Takabal Dua that my Lord make me an establisher of prayer and from my descendants also. So we see that it's not just about um, Islam. Uh, uh, Islam lays emphasis on, of course, you know, uh, um, uh, offspring, offspring, but making them righteous people and making them uh, people who are uh, ex, uh, who, who can have a excellent uh, impact on humanity and on society as well. And you know, His Holiness um, Hazrat Mizra Masrur Ahmed. He 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 once said, and I just I I like to share this. He once said during his Friday sermon that that thus uh, when when he was he was talking about the upbringing of children and and what the promised Messiah has also taught us, he said that thus this is the basic principle that the promised Messiah has repeatedly drawn attention to, and it is in fact the explanation of the Quranic teaching uh, that parents own example that the parents own example plays an important role in the tarbiyat tarbiyat meaning the moral training and edification of the children uh, his holiness goes on to say that may allah the almighty help us set the best examples for our children may we fulfill our pledge to give precedence to faith over the world some people have the habit of observing others to see how they are. So instead of looking at others, they should focus on improving themselves and become righteous. His Holiness goes on to say that, then we can expect our generations to do good deeds. Be the ones who consistently pray for their children so that Allah the Almighty always makes our children the delight of our eyes and our legacy continues. I mean, beautifully put there uh, in the words of the uh, successors of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the uh, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, uh, being the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him himself, um, and of course the promised Messiah, the promised reformer upon whom be peace as well. Um, <clears throat> it, it beautifully illustrates how when we're going through um, uh, our lives, at no stage can we stop in this moral upbringing. And it starts from even before the children are born, like the prayers that you've mentioned as well. And this, it just signifies how important it, it, it is that we look after our next generation uh, so that the world can be looked after in the future as well. Here's, that's it for now. Here's the 8 o'clock news. Shalom Aleikum, Assalamu Alaikum and peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. We're talking about uh, Muslim Jew peace via parallelism um, and anti-Semitism as you can see and Islamophobia have escalated by a huge amount. Um, according to CST, 514% and according to Tel Mama, sevenfold respectively. Uh, amid a time of tension and turmoil, we must unite now more than ever to spread the shared peaceful teachings of these Abrahamic faiths via community cohesion, commonality and solidarity, with it conveniently being interfaith week as well. And this was uh, this will actually be covered um, in more detail on Friday's Breakfast for show as well so do stay tuned and listen to that as well but this is the segment that we're going to be talking about for this hour if you would like to get involved uh, then please feel free to do so um, you might be getting the kids ready to go to school you might already be on your way to school to drop them off or you might be at, on your way to work wherever you might be um, remember this is your radio station and we do love for you to get involved so do voice your opinion give us a call 0208 687 7878 and of course you can hit us 
up on our socials on Twitter and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. Um, we do have with us on the line our first guest for this show, Dr. Edward uh, Kessler, uh, MBE. Um, he's a founder, president of the Wolf Institute and uh, a leading thinker in interfaith relations, primarily a Jewish Christian Muslim relations, as well as a convener of the Commission on the Integration of Refugees. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the breakfast show. Salam alaikum. I'm pleased to be with you. And it's a pleasure to have you on with us as well. Um, could you kindly uh, start by sharing your story of actually uh, of how Wolf Institute was set up? Well, I tell you, let me start with last night, mm-hmm. because last night we had a open discussion with Jews, Christians and Muslims talking oh. about the impact of the conflict and the Israeli um, attacks and war in Gaza and, and the, the, the attack in Israel. We talked what impact has ha- that had on our communities, particularly Muslims and Jews. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Wolf Institute is about. It's providing a safe space for people to have difficult conversations. We're an academic institute. We provide PhDs, which are Cambridge University PhDs and, and Masters of Philosophy and Muslim Jewish Relations and things like that. But we also have this outreach program and we, we're not scared to tackle the difficult issues, which I'm, is why I'm so pleased that you've invited me on your show and you are doing that yourself so that your listeners, Muslims and non-Muslims, um, can hear a variety of different opinions. So, yes, it's about understanding the other and fostering interfaith dialogue. Of course, and and we 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 do believe, as as you, I'm I'm sure you're aware, uh, the treaties that happened at the time of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He was actually the first person who 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 made such a treaty in which everyone was to live uh, together uh, in in peace and in harmony. The Jews, the Christians, the Muslims, people of no faith as well, um, all came together and they uh, signed this treaty as well in in the Charter of Medina, uh, which. Uh, um, uh, many of our his, his historical uh, people who are into history sorry, um, would uh, would be familiar with as well. And on top of what happened yesterday, uh, could you please give us a little bit of an insight into your admirable uh, interfaith meetings between Abrahamic faiths um, uh, and, and dialogues that you've had? Yes, we, we all recognize, and you've just said it, that we're children of Abraham. Yeah. Jews, Christians and Muslims look to Abraham as our father, as our parent. Um, and the sorts of programs we do uh, examine that relationship historically, theologically, sociologically. So what's actually going on the ground now? It may be uh, women's groups, women's dialogue and women's interfaith relations. We have a program on music. So, for example, some of the musical traditions that come out of Iraq and Syria um, are our, our traditions shared by those Jews, Christians and Muslims who lived in that land. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we really look at the encounter. It's what, what is that relationship? Because it's based on the, the premise, if you like, that I understand myself better in relationship with you when I speak to you. And the hope is, of course, that you understand yourself better in conversation with me. And it's a, a real genuine, it's not easy, it's a, a, an attempt to have a genuine dialogue. Yeah, no, no, most certainly. I couldn't agree more. Ed, apart from your general interfaith community talks, we understand you are an academic leader in Judeo-Christian Islamic relations as well. Could you enlighten uh, our listeners a little bit uh, on that, please? Well, for example, I did my PhD um, at Cambridge on uh, the story of the sacrifice of Abraham's son. Mm. Right Now, in, in, in the Bible, in Genesis, the, the, the scripture of Jews and Christians, 
um, there's a story in chapter 22 that identifies the son as Isaac. Yeah. That's, that's the Jewish and Christian tradition. Now, in Islam, of course, the tradition is that the Quran actually says Abraham's son. It doesn't specify which son. Is it Isaac? Is it Ishmael? Hmm. But Islamic tradition identifies it as Ishmael. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, there was a strand that identified it as Isaac as well, Al-Tabari. But the mainstream tradition is that it's Ishmael. And that's an example where we have a similar story where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son. Abraham, out of faith and commitment to God, tries to do it. God stops it, of course. Thank God we don't want such a thing to happen. Mm. But the story, the text might not be exactly the same, but the story is very, very similar. And this is an example of how close the historic relationships are between Judaism and Christianity and Islam. I mean, in your tradition, in in the Hadith, you have a, a, a strand called the Israelite, literature, don't you, mm. which is very much connected with the Jewish Midrash, you know? So there is this, this strong connection between sp- particularly Judaism and Islam, theologically, the, the oneness of God, for example. Mm. And you talked about the Jewish tribes and the Treaty of Medina. There is this incredible history that we don't know about because everything's caught up in the politics mm. of Israel-Palestine. And we need to rediscover that relationship because we've got to work out ways to live more peaceably together. You mentioned the rise of Islamophobia, sevenfold rise in Islamophobia today in the UK, a 12-fold rise in anti-Semitism. Wow. These things are connected. Yeah. If they attack me, they attack you. Exactly. That's, that, that, that's how it is. And that's why it's so important for, for us to come together as, as brothers. And that is exactly what our religions and our faiths teach us, um, that uh, that we do need to find these com- common grounds. And this is actually the topic that we're obviously talking about today as well, um, which just goes to show the importance uh, in the essence of coming together rather than uh, um, fighting each other because of our different backgrounds. Islam, uh, and I'm sure you're aware of this verse as well, and many Many of our re- regular listeners will be as well because it's something which we often repeat here on the Voice of Islam radio station where God Almighty said that I have made you into tribes and sub-tribes so that you may recognize one another, so that you exactly. may learn from one another. It's not so That's that you right. can fight each other. No, exactly. But you know, there's something we miss. There's something we miss, which is that we mustn't just work out the commonality, what we have in common. We've also got to work out the ways of dealing with difference. Of course. You're different from me. I have my customs, practices, rituals. I'm Jewish. Um, and you have yours. And we need to respect and somehow, that. that's right. Exactly. Somehow we need to affirm one another and, and, and accept, not only accept, embrace mm. the fact that we're different. So we, we begin with common ground. This is what we do at the Wolf Institute. What do Jews, Christians, and Muslims have in common? But then, and a lot of people don't do this, then we go on to where are the differences? The mm. Trinity, for example, in Christianity. Um, claim, truth claims about Christ. This is specific to the church, yeah, right? Yeah. The the final revelation um, in in the Quran. This is particular to to Muslims, uh, and of course the Torah for Jews. So it is important that we also work out ways of managing and respecting those differences. But you, we, we must begin, as you've just said, with what we have in common. Most certainly. Most certainly, um, Edward. It was uh, it was a pleasure to have you on. Um, we we could speak about this for for for, for, for such a great length, uh, but unfortunately, time has gotten the better of us. Uh, thank you once again. We we hope to have you on in the future, um, sometime as well. I hope so. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Have a have a lovely week ahead as well. You too. Thank you. Bye bye.
That was Dr. Edward Kessler, um, uh, founder, president of the Wolf Institute and leading thinker in interfaith relations, primarily Jewish, Christian, Muslim relations, as well as as well as uh, convener of the Con- Commission on the Integration of Refugees. And Jalice, it's 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 uh, such a lovely conversation and discussion that we had there, in which we can see the importance of finding the common ground. Um, and, uh, and 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 respecting and embracing and accepting the differences that we have uh, within each other as well. Indeed, I mean just just by uh, the 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 segment, the title you mentioned, Salon, uh, Salam and Shalom. It just shows you know there are so, um, right from the beginning there are many similarities that are with uh, in Islam and Judaism. For example, I mean, of course, Shalom being Hebrew meaning uh, you know peace and harmony and and you know uh, and and salam of course being arabic mean peace as well salamu alaykum peace be upon you it's something we also say to greet each other and shalom in hebrew is some uh, you know used to greet each uh, um, other people as well and i mean i wanted to, to you know speak a little bit more about the you know similarities so like you mentioned um you know uh, in your conversation with our guest you know both uh, judaism and islam are you know monotheistic religions you know emphasizing the belief in in one god right that, that's that's the first you know main uh, thing that we have in common yeah. you know this shared fundamental fundamental you know uh, belief provides a you know a commonality between the two faiths and then like you mentioned <clears throat> Jews and Muslims we trace our spiritual lineage back to prophet Abraham uh, being Ibrahim in Islam you know we both consider him a key figure in the religious history and and stories about Abraham prophet Abraham are present in the holy scriptures of both religions and again and then coming to holy places right Jerusalem holds significance for both Jews and Muslims you know the western wall is a sacred site for Jews while the Al-Aqsa mosque in Jerusalem is one of the holiest sites in, in Islam and you know the city's religious importance is a shared element then we, when we, we go past that, we go to culture and historical ties. Jews and Muslims have coexisted, like you mentioned, of course, uh, during the time of the Holy Prophet with the, the Treaty of Medina. But when we look at the cultural and historical ties as well, throughout history, we see that Jews and Muslims coexisted in various regions throughout history, leading to shared cultural influences, traditions, um, historical experiences. You know, in places like the Middle East, North Africa, and and parts of Spain, you know, there have been periods of of uh, cultural exchange. Then, I mean, the list is 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 is, is quite a lot. You know, um, and you know, both Judaism and Islam share a commitment to ethical and moral principles. You know, concepts such as uh, justice, uh, compassion, uh, charity, and honesty. You know, are emphasized in the teachings of both uh, both religions. And when we look at Jerusalem, there is a very touching story uh, in the history of Islam. Uh, I'm not sure if we have enough time. It's a very lengthy story. Um, you know, but uh, if, if if throughout the show we do have enough time, then you know, I, I would uh, want to mention it. Um, but, you know, it's a very, very uh, touching story with the second caliph of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who was Hazrat Umar bin al-Khattab. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. Uh, you know, if we do have time, then I would like to narrate sl- a little bit of it. Apart from this, you know, there there are many other commonalities that we see. And 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 um, but before we do go on to that, we do we do have um, with us our um, guest, uh, our next guest, 
who is uh, Muhammad Amin. He, Muhammad Amin is co-chair of the Muslim uh, Jewish Forum of Greater Manchester. The mission is to bring the Muslim and Jewish communities of Greater Manchester closer together. Muhammad Amin has been on Voice of Islam several times and is a good friend of the Ahmadi Muslim community. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome back to the uh, Voice of Islam breakfast show. Assalamu and thank you for being with us. Just in the beginning, we have mentioned a lot of um, you know what things are common between uh, you know Muslim and uh, most of the Muslim community and the Jewish community. Um, you know, can can you maybe elaborate a bit more on what are some other common uh, you know Muslim Jewish um, interests? Yes, certainly. Before I go into detail, the big picture is that British Muslims and British Jews. Most of them regard religion as very important in their lives. And I believe quite strongly that the biggest divide, the biggest religious divide in our society is not between different religions, Christians, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, etc., but between people who have any kind of religious belief and people who have none. Because people who have no religious belief find great difficulty understanding that religion matters to people and affects the way that they live their lives. So as some concrete examples, both Muslims and Jews believe in the importance of halal and kosher slaughter, whereas many people of no religious belief regularly try to ban uh, kosher and halal slaughter on the grounds that they claim that it is cruel. Similarly, Muslims and Jews both believe that it's important to bury people very quickly. And a few years ago, there was a coroner who was trying to operate a strict queuing system for processing deaths and burial certificates, which didn't matter to people who weren't Muslim or Jewish, but caused massive problems for both Muslim and Jewish communities. We both believe in the importance of circumcision. And these are issues where Muslims and Jews are far more effective if they lobby together than if they lobby separately. I could give you other examples like faith schools and so on. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot in common in the UK and issues that really matter to both of us. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so do you feel the, the positive um, atmosphere change your forum has brought about after over the past two year, uh, two two decades, in fact, um, that has acted as a strong foundation that mitigates conflicts and you know, spikes in tensions? I believe we have. It's easy to underestimate just how easily people end up living separate, parallel lives. I had lived in Manchester since 1952, and by the time we set up the Muslim Jewish Forum, I was in my mid-50s. So I lived for over 50 years in the city with the second largest Jewish community in the UK. And I had never set foot inside a synagogue. I'd occasionally been to churches to attend funerals, for example, or marriages, but I'd never been to a synagogue until I got involved in setting up the Muslim Jewish Forum. And the same is true of most Jewish people, that they had never set foot inside a mosque. And as a consequence of our activities, that kind of thing has become much more normal. There are far more interfaith groups in Manchester. There are regular get-togethers at Manchester Cathedral where all the major religious communities in Manchester are represented, and we played an important part in achieving that. 
And one of the stories I like to tell is that about ooh, eight or nine, maybe even ten years ago now, King David's High School, which is a Jewish school in Manchester, decided to set up an informal twinning arrangement with the Manchester Islamic High School for Girls. And what I'm really found noteworthy was that we weren't, the Muslim Jewish Forum wasn't directly involved in any way in bringing about that twinning arrangement, but we believe we changed the atmosphere in Manchester to make that happen. And an example of how this really matters when there are times of difficulty and tension, in 2017, 22 citizens of Manchester were killed by a suicide bomber of Libyan origin who was a Muslim who used to pray at the Dinsbury Mosque. That could easily have caused massive community tension in Manchester. People, communities at loggerheads, uh, gang attacks, etc. Nothing of that kind happened because the citizens of Manchester came together. And that's the importance. That's why it's so important to have these kinds of links. You can't build the links when there's an emergency. The links already have to exist. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree indeed. Um, it's, it's important have that uh, common understanding that is something of course islam you know teaches as well that you know you should sh- your your mercy and your your friendship and your compassion should not just um you know be limited to muslims uh, alone but it should be uh, um, for all of humanity of course you know islam we look at the rights that are owed to god almighty and of course the rights that are owed to humanity as well and this is something islam uh, you know, emphasizes a lot on as well. Um, uh, just, just moving on, we we have uh, you know one more question, which is in in what ways you know do you think um, individuals you know irrespective of their religion religious backgrounds can you know actively contribute to peace building efforts within their communities? It depends, first of all, upon each individual person's abilities and talents. So. If you are able to do public speaking, which I know many people are not, then volunteer to be a public speaker. I regularly speak at schools for a charity called Speakers for Schools, and I'm speaking to secondary school children on all kinds of subjects, but one of the most common things I get asked to talk about is the relationship between Christianity and Islam, for example. And I'm not going there to try to convert people to becoming Muslims, but I want them to understand how Muslims understand religion, what we have in common with Christianity, and the ways that we differ from Christianity. If public speaking isn't your thing, you may well have neighbors. Simply introduce yourself to your neighbors. Take some food around. Be curious about their religious festivals. And similarly, share information about yours. Even simply... If a Muslim woman wearing a hijab walks past a Jewish man dressed in very traditional East European clothing, uh, like a lot of uh, very ultra-Orthodox Jews tend to wear, if she smiles at him and says good morning, that in itself is a step forward. So there are things we can do at the micro scale, things that we can do at the macro scale. The important thing is that each of us should do what we can. Yeah, I mean, everyone, of course, as individuals, of course, of course, everyone plays their their own part. Then it it will be a you know, uh, like you mentioned, obviously, like Islam says as well, will be a a, a step forward um, in the right direction when everyone plays 
their role. Um, thank you for uh, for being with us. Thank, thank you for answering our questions. Um, we hope you have a wonderful day and a beautiful week ahead. Thank you very much. That was Mohammed Amin, uh, co-chair of the Muslim Jewish Forum of Greater Manchester. The mission is to bring the Muslim and Jewish communities of Greater Manchester closer together. And I mean, it, it's a very uh, simple task of uh, what he mentioned right there at the end as well. If if uh, if a, if a Muslim person, individual, and a Jewish um, individual were to have an encounter uh, on the street, then then simply uh, saying salam, saying peace, saying shalom. Um, can 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 work wonders, and even that is a step in the right direction of uh, of this community cohesion that we're speaking about today, isn't it? Indeed. Um, th- there are some. Uh, uh, th- I mean, if we talk about the history of harmony, the history of harmony is actually a concept that emphasizes the positive aspects of human interaction, focusing on instances where let's say, different individuals, communities or nations have come together in peace and cooperation. This perspective seeks to highlight instances of collaboration, mutual understanding and shared prosperity throughout history rather than emphasising on conflicts. And in examining the history of harmony, one might explore examples such as periods of cultural uh, exchange successful diplomatic efforts, collaborative scientific advancements and instances where diverse groups have coexisted peacefully. This approach aims to shed light on the potential for unity, understanding and collaboration among people even in the face of historical challenges. Conflicts have been uh, an integral part of human history shaping societies, cultures, cultures and geopolitical landscapes. Various factors, including territorial disputes, ideological differences, economic competition and power struggles have led to conflicts at local, regional and global uh, levels as well. And this is uh, an issue that we're seeing today as well. Uh, and, and, and it's an issue we'll continue to see if we don't adopt uh, the, 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 uh, the, the teachings of Islam, um, where we can see that even today what's happening uh, in, in Palestine as well um his holiness uh he keeps on championing the rights of uh, of those who are being affected by this and on on on, on a weekly and timely basis uh, on the friday sermons as well he's he keeps on giving an update and addressing uh members as well and and and, and asking them uh, to pray for the individuals as well um Continuing on with the history of harmony, while conflicts and tensions are undeniably part of human history, this approach of the human history of uh, the, the history of harmony encourages a more balanced narrative by emphasizing positive stories and achievements. The perspective can contribute to fostering a sense of optimism, encouraging dialogue, and inspiring efforts to build bridges between different individuals and communities as well. More on this um, in just a short while, uh, but before we do so, we do have with us on the line. Uh, Johnny Weinberg, uh, who's the Director of Operations for We Stand Together um, and former co-chair of the Muslim Jewish Forum of the of the of Greater Manchester, who we actually um, uh, just spoke with as well. We Stand Together uh, is the Greater Manchester Combined Authority brand for cohesion initiatives. Um, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're very welcome and thank you for being with us today. Um, like you know, we are talking about a very important topic. Um, and uh, the, the first question that we wanted to ask you in this regard was, what are some of the problems that you face when engaging in interfaith dialogue? I, I think one of the most important things to recognize is um, that you know, initial trust um, often isn't there, that people unfortunately don't know each other, um, don't understand each other, and are often um, wary of asking questions um, for fear of being told that, oh, you can't really say that. Um, so what we do, um, we stand together, we hold what we call difficult dialogues, which are safe spaces where people can ask those questions that maybe they wanted to ask, um, understand what Islam's about, understand what Judaism's about, understand what anything's about what you know and some more about disability about gender and so on so you know we encourage people to talk with each other because the reality for us is the only time when people can actually build those bridges build respect and understanding is when you come together and and are honest with each other of course i mean that is the only way when you have dialogue when you speak uh with each other and get to know each other only then will you actually be able to understand one another as well um johnny how can we as abrahamic faiths celebrate diversity and build cohesion well you're talking literally about what we stand together is about and yeah. uh as we said, if you're going to celebrate diversity, then you need to talk about it. Um, but also you need to enjoy the fact that we're different. Um, and we often say if everybody was the same, it would be a very boring country and a very boring world. Yeah. Um, so you, you celebrate it by you know, eating together, by you know, celebrating those different festivals. So um, I've been very pleased that I've been able to go to Kisra Mosque on several occasions where you have iftars. Um, and they're wonderful. They bring in kosher food, and I'm able to heat that up. We we make one of the microwaves kosher, um, and other Jewish people can therefore come and enjoy that. So, by coming together in that sort of respect, both socially, but also being able to talk together, that's how you really celebrate that diversity and, and enjoy each other's company. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're very right. Um, I mean, like I said, uh, just echoing what we mentioned earlier as well, it's all about getting together, isn't it? Um, Why is mutual tolerance important for conflict prevention and resolution? So we say, you know, tolerance is, yeah, we we understand what that's about, but we want to go beyond tolerating um, each other. We want to actually respect, understand, and enjoy the fact that we're different. And it's important to go beyond that mere tolerance. Yes, that's the very, very minimum. Mm. Um, But if that's all that you aim for, then you really don't get very far. So... Um, it's so important to have that deeper understanding. Um, and, you know, we've seen people you know, build friendships, um, be able to talk with each other, be able to joke with each other. Um, that's when you really get um, uh, that very positive way. And that, that's what prevents the sort of hatred starting that leads on to the sorts of conflicts, unfortunately, we see in the world. So if you can develop that deeper understanding and then other people see that, and then pass that on to the next person. So yesterday was World Kindness Day. Little acts of kindness where you do positive things and people understand who you are. Um, those are the sorts of ways in which you know, we can start to build a, a different type of society where actually we enjoy the fact that we're different. Yeah. And, uh, and lastly, uh, what does the hashtag We Stand Together mean to you on a personal level? It very much means that you know, when I see somebody uh, in difficulties, when I see somebody who's attacked, that, that I need to do something about it. And you know, um, 
people talk about you know being bystanders and then becoming activists and that's where we're looking um that it's not just about you know watching and allowing things to happen and and not being you know one of the people who attacks because there's a very old phrase if you're not part of the solution you're part of the problem um we want people to go from being bystanders to activists and that's what it means to me that you know it's not just you know oh we you know we look on and uh hope that other people are okay yeah. is we actually stand together and do things together work together to make um think your community your country your world a better place mm, i mean that's in, that's uh, this actually reminds me of a narration of the holy prophet muhammad may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him in which he mentioned that when you see something wrong or you see an evil or an ill being done then there's three ways in which you can stop it one is just to think ill of it and and not do anything and this is actually the the, the easiest and the lessest uh, the, the the least um, um kind and and the one which which is given the least amount of significance as well next is uh, to actually say something about it be vocal um and try to stop that thing or or to educate that uh, that person on what you're doing is wrong and the 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 best step is actually to to physically do something obviously uh, it doesn't mean to use force or anything of that sort but to 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 physically and actively do something so that that uh, that thing or that being whatever it might be stops uh, that negative thing as well so you're completely right it's not just about being bystanders uh, bystanders uh, and just watching uh, something being happening uh, something uh, happening and just not really doing much about it but it's actually uh, the point uh, in which we actually have to physically uh, start uh, doing something as well uh, to 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 really make a difference absolutely and that's why you know that's what we're about that activism and that's why we offer you know anybody and we're based in greater manchester that's where we get our funding that's where we offer free training work to develop communities if you want to affiliate an organization you can do that we stand together we we that's how we do our work because those local groups in neighborhoods bringing people together celebrating together that's what prevents hate that's what makes our communities stronger and safer most certainly most certainly um johnny was lovely speaking with you and we hope you have a wonderful day and week ahead as well um and and we'd like to have you on in the future as well uh, to talk about community cohesion and other important topics as well yeah with absolute pleasure and thank you so much for having me you're very welcome thank you bye 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 now that was Johnny Weinberg a director of operations for We Stand Together and former co-chair of the Muslim Jewish For- uh, Forum of Greater Manchester as well um Julie some very interesting and important uh, things that we touched on in that conversation isn't it yeah indeed i mean the, the topic so it's really important especially in the, in this day and age um you know it's it's important to know that um with with uh, almost you know with 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 religions you know it's we and uh, as muslims uh, we believe that islam uh, in islam we believe that all prophets came to you know to unite man and to to preach the oneness of god almighty and we believe that all religions uh, all prophets were sent by god and all religions in the in the in the uh, beginning came with the um you know it came with the the message to 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 unite mankind um you know under the under the banner of of course peace and you know the uh, uh, to promote the oneness of god and it's it's, it's important to know that these common li- commonalities are found in all uh, religions and uh, as we are speaking about the 
the Mus- Muslim community and the Jewish community. We, if, even if we just look at the the, the language as well, the, the language used in, in our scriptures. Uh, for example, we when we see in um, in English, we we know we have peace in English. So in in Arabic, it's salam, and then in Hebrew, it's shalom. Uh, and then again, if, if you look at the word life uh, in Arabic, it's hayat, and then in in, in Hebrew, it's hayim. Uh, for the, I can I can keep going on. There's blessings in Arabic is baraka, and then of course um, in in Hebrew is baracha, and then one when we when we say the oneness of God we say ahad, uh, and in Hebrew is ahad, uh, brother is ach achun or ach, um, and you know in in Hebrew is ach as well. Faith, iman, amuna, mercy, rahma, rahim. You know there's so many things um within um uh, within religions that you know are, are are shared and are common and it's important to understand that we are you know all religions religions ultimately strive for peace and it's when we recognize the bigger picture um you know of 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 um, religion of uh, you know the oneness of god and religion and striving for humanity is when we recognize the big picture then of course we can all come together and it's important to come together in order to establish um you know peace um on on earth and, and um obviously it's important to understand the uh the the the, the um, rights of uh, that is owed to uh Allah almighty and of course humanity um as well um we do have with us rabbi dr nathan uh dr nathan who is uh, um the head of operations for faiths forum for london he received his rabbinical ordination in 2006 um yeah, nathan uh, 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 was environmental uh, liaison to the former chief rabbi lord Sachs, the interfaith consultant to the Board of Deputies for British Jews from 2013 to 2017 and a university um, uh, champlain to Bristol University. Uh, Nathan is the co-author of Sharing Eden, Green Teachings from Jews, Christians and Muslims. Um, He holds a doctorate in environmental theology for Bristol University. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you very much, and I really liked what you were saying about salam and shalom. Uh, salam alaikum to you as well. Welcome, salam. Thank you very much. Um, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it is interesting, and, and I, I'm sure uh, uh, you know, uh, many people in the world uh, do know, or I hope do know that, you know, as we've been speaking um, on on this show, that there are a lot of um, um, you know uh, matters. Uh, there are a lot of things that unite um, you know Muslims and and Jews. Of course, uh, you know we being you know following our spiritual descendant from Prophet uh, Abraham as well. So there's a lot of that you know unites us um, as well. Um, just just yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. No, even in these very challenging times, that's, that's yeah. actually where I'm getting a lot of my hope and support from um, from our shared lineage journey together I'm, i mean we all come from abraham ibrahim yeah um, and share his vision yeah yeah i agree indeed um we have a few a few questions um as the head of operations for faith forum for london and having served as the interfaith consultant on the board um, of deputies of uh, british jews uh, how do you believe um, interfaith collaboration contributes to a more harmonious and you know understanding society 
really good question. Uh, actually, my interfaith work goes back to when I was a, a rabbi and a chaplain at the University of Bristol. Um, when we were trying to get with the Jewish students um, kosher food into the um, the student society, and you know there wasn't a lot of Jewish students, and they weren't really into bringing kosher food in. It wasn't going to make a profit. Um, but one of my students uh, had a friend who was in, in the ISOC, um, and he, he called that other student up from the ISOC, and they said, you know, we can't get kosher food in, but if we try together to get halal and kosher food in, we'll have a much better chance. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, by going together to the president of Bristol University and saying, we're not just bringing in one type of food, we're bringing in two. Um, the president said yes, and the next week there was kosher and halal uh, section in the Bristol University market where you could mm-hmm. go and not only get kosher and halal, but meet people from the ISOC and the JSOC together having these fascinating conversations um, both about what they agreed with and also what they disagreed with. Um, so food, as always, in this case, is really what got my interface going in its first in start and led through the Board of Deputies and doing the work um, that was so instrumental there to bring people together in all kinds of wonderful projects to, to make our neighborhoods and our society better. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it's it's always good, it's always good to you know to to, to understand one each other, you know, get together and you know uh, you know build fr- friendships, build bridges rather than you know staying apart. It's it's always good to you know get in contact with other people around uh, other communities and you know build bridges and or friendship as well. And something that is something that is uh, highly recommended and, and emphasized, um, you know, in in the Holy Quran and in in and in, in Islam as well. And, you know, I've seen that happen now. A lot of the um, those connections, really, Muslim leaders and imams who, um, from my board of deputies' work in days, are still my friends. And in this current tragedy, um, they have reached out in a really beautiful way and called me up um, because they know that I have my family living in Israel. And, and a number of people have called me up um, and specifically asked, how is your family? How is your family, Nathan? And that has made a world of difference. Uh, it's really, really hard to have political conversations these days across a lot of those bridges. Don't seem as strong as they once were. But that personal call and that, you know, as a friend, talking to friends, um, even though we're disagreeing a lot, to know that there's someone who cares about me and I care about at the end of the line, checking in, makes a world of difference. Indeed, indeed. I mean, I mean, we we are all from, uh, we we trace as we said, as we, we mentioned before, we do trace our uh, spiritual lineage back to Prophet Abraham, and in that sense, we, we are yeah. we are we are spiritual brothers. Um, we we are brothers, and we we we, we you know Muslims and and uh, Muslim community and the Jewish community, we we and and people of course other faces as well. We should we should, uh, you know, understand that there is there is more. Um, that unites us, um, and and is something that we, that should be highlighted, um, you know, in this day and age as well. Um, your 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 doctorate in environmental theology is you know, is fascinating. And how how do environmental values for you know Jewish, Christian, and Muslim uh, perspectives intersect? And how can these shared principles promote a sense of unity and responsibility for the planet? Another wonderful question. Um, well, actually, I blame the former chief rabbi, Rabbi Sachs. Um, he uh, was, in, was my mentor, and uh, he um, once said something that really spurred on my interest in environmental work and interfaith together. Um, he said once that, you know, all of us, 
all of our religions, we may not share the same vision of heaven, but we have to share the same earth. So we have to share this earth no matter what, uh, no matter how far apart mm-hmm. we sometimes get with, with our theological um, takes on the world. So I think that that vision from him is a lot what guided me and continues to guide me around the environmental work. Um, I, it began a little bit in a, a wonderful place in Israel called the Arava Center, where they're bringing people from all over the Middle East to come and work together um, because I understand that, you know, birds on a migration route or the ibex in the desert, they don't have boundaries. They don't have borders. And in order to really care for all of them, one has to think beyond borders. And that vision, which is in, in, intentionally one that seeks to look for the environmental commonality, um, was one that I think that we as human beings could also work with, too. Well, you know, unfortunately, we can't fly away from, the, from current politics. Um, but we can see how the world of nature doesn't have those boundaries, doesn't have those borders, and shouldn't. Um, and that for, is, is a lot in terms of we together have to care for this world because if each one of us tries to hold up an environmental stance without the support of my colleagues in the church, in the mosques, in the gurdwaras, in the Hindu temples, I'll, I'll never be able to really make an impact and neither will any of the other organizations. Thank you for, for joining us uh, on The Breakfast Show. Uh, we do hope to have you on again, uh, ho- hopefully in the n- near future. Um, do have a lovely day and a beautiful week ahead. Thank you so much for having me on your show and for your words of bringing people together um, during this most tumultuous time. It's, it's beautiful to have that notion of salam, shalom. Welcome, salam. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. A lovely uh, conversation with uh, Rabbi Dr. Nathan uh, Levi as well, uh, speaking about community cohesion, um, all about getting together, um, and uh, exactly uh, what he mentioned over there at the end as well of of shalom and salam, uh, peace uh, in essence is uh, is what we are all hoping for and what we are all praying for as well, and that's why it's so essential for us to 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 get together and uh, and tackle these issues together rather than uh, in, in sol- uh, solidarity um there was uh, an event um um uh, here in the battle of the mosque uh, recently uh, which we want to touch on as well um and this was actually the Haifa interfaith event uh, and London's, London London uh, prayers uh, for peace event as well um and this is we will be speaking about this uh, at the end of uh, the the show we do have uh, um um, at about 12 minutes or so left of the show but before we do so and before we get into that uh, we're going to be speaking to our last guest for the show Naomi Wayne uh, BSST a British uh, is a British Jewish charity which she co-founded in 2004 they make uh, small grants to a wide range of smallish groups across Israel Palestine Golan um, this uh, currently includes around eight groups in Gaza as uh, as far as they have been able to find out the people running the groups community groups and schools uh, are all alive uh, by the grace uh, and uh, help of uh, Allah the Almighty but the premises uh, are badly damaged and the people we have been contacted um, uh, contacting are clearly so traumatized themselves that they haven't been able to bring themselves to inquire uh, about the communities especially children um, that they serve. Um, Assalamu alaikum peace be upon you good morning and welcome to the breakfast show. 
Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for, for accepting uh, our invitation. Um, what inspired you to co-found the British Shalom Salam Trust, the BSST, in 2004? And how, was the, how has the organisation evolved in its mission over the years? Um, well, to answer the second one first, I think when we started, we weren't terribly clear what, that we knew what we were doing. But mm-hmm. now we've been going for 20 years. We 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 do have a very clear sense of what we're trying to do. Um, we're essentially we're a, under British law. We're a charity, uh, which means that we're not a political campaigning organisation, mm-hmm. but do, we do have a very strong commitment. Um, to a belief in uh, a society uh, in what we call Israel, Palestine, Golan, where everybody lives uh, together or alongside each other. That's for them to decide. But in a situation of peace and freedom and equality. Uh, And what we want to do is to try to help people uh, create the building blocks for that kind of society. So we help a wide range of groups. Some of them are Jewish, some of them are Palestinian, um, some of them are joint groups. We also happen to, to fund a Syrian group in Golan, uh, and we fund groups that work with African refugees and migrant workers uh, in Israel. So it's a very wide range of organizations. And what we hope to do by our work is to enable people to uh, better their own lives and also live and work along others in peace and equality. Mm. I mean, that is the, the, the end goal, isn't it? I mean, that's that's something that we all uh, strive to achieve as well. And uh, de- dealing with traumatised individuals is, of course, undoubtedly challenging. How does BSST approach supporting community groups and schools that are grappling with trauma? Um, and also, what strategies are employed to, to, to foster resilience as well? Well, we, um, our job, as far as we're concerned, is not to tell the groups that we support what to do. Mm-hmm. It's to um, invite them to tell us what they want to do. And if we feel that, that what they're trying to do is um, going to help in, help the people, the local people they're working with, is going to help in creating... Uh, um, feelings of tolerance and living alongside each other and understanding and respecting each other, then we give them a small grant. Uh, So, for example, in Gaza, we support uh, a large number of groups who every year run summer camps for small children um, because, to be honest, in Gaza, there's nothing for the kids to do except run around the streets. And certainly in the summer holidays, that means running around the streets and probably getting into trouble. So these groups run camps where they put on entertainment for the kids. They enable them to do painting, dancing. Uh, They take them on day trips. Um, They just do enable them to have all the sort of organized uh, joy that children are entitled to. Uh, And we give them money to help them to do that. And alongside that, what they're often doing is they're looking at the kids to see whether they are are traumatized because of successive rounds of bombing of Gaza, which has been going on now for years. And this is by no means the first, of 
course, as everyone knows. Um, and they try to spot the kids that have the most difficulties coping and provide them with various forms of therapeutic help. And if they tell us that's what they're trying to do um, and they provide us with a, 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 a plan that looks as if they're like, they know what they're doing, then we give them some money to help them out. We don't otherwise interfere. We don't tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, this is their, their land, their project their aspirations and we are unlike a lot of charities which set out programs and ask people uh, who want money from us to to fit into our program we have no program except trying to help local people create those building blocks which means that one day when there is peace and there will be nothing lasts forever one day there will be peace but it's the best possible peace, and it's a peace where people can live alongside each other with mutual respect. Yeah, God willing. I mean, that is that is something that we all uh, hope and pray for as well. Um, His Holiness, actually, the current worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he actually uh, told all of uh, the, the members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community that uh, whenever we prostrate, uh, then at least one during the day, uh, there, there's so many, but at least one should be dedicated for this uh, in which we pray that may God Almighty um, bring about a ceasefire and, 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 and all of this war and bloodshed uh, does come to, to a halt and a stop um, as well. Like, like you mentioned, this is something that we all uh, are striving towards. Um, lastly, Naomi, um, how does BSST engage in educational outreach to promote cultural awareness and understanding between Jewish and Muslim communities, especially among the younger generation? Well, we don't do anything ourselves. I think this is really mm -hmm. important to explain. I okay. also want to say that that most of us are secular Jews. It's very, very important to us that we are Jewish and that we are saying to people across Israel, Palestine, Golan, uh, we're Jewish, we are doing this as Jews. We reject the idea of a society where some people are treated much better than others, where people don't all have equal rights. And we want to stand up and say what we believe in. But beyond that, we are not going to interfere. This is your world. This is for you to decide. Um, but what we do in, in our own country, in Britain, of course, is we try to tell people about the work we're doing. Um, we will talk to any group, um, any church, any synagogue, any mosque, any local community group that wants to hear us talk about the work that we do, the money that we give, the groups that we give to, uh, and why we do it. And one of the things is we give to an incredibly wide range of uh, of organizations. So we give to lots of community groups in Gaza. But I want to pick out uh, a project that we've supported now for some years. Uh, and it's a project run by a young Jewish man who has spent time in the West Bank as a human rights defender. So what he does, he's, what he has done, is he stayed in villages in the West Bank. Um, and when uh, settlers or the Israeli army have come into the villages, he's been one of the people trying to help out the local villages uh, to stop the settlers running uh, riot and to stop the soldiers being oppressive. 
And he said he was so well uh, looked after by the local villagers, he wanted to give something back. Mm. Uh, and his, his passion is wrestling. So he set up a wrestling club oh. for the local boys in the, in, in the villages there. Uh, and he came to us and he said, I need a bit more money so that I can buy them a top-class wrestling mat. Mm -hmm. So we gave him the money for that. So it's a way, again, of uh, somebody Jewish saying, I know these people, they know me, I've talked to the local people, I've talked to the parents, and they've said, yes, they would like me to do this. Um, and it means I can give something back to these people who've been so kind to me and so welcoming. So if you think about it, from a community group trying to deal with trauma mm. to uh, a young Jew uh, an Israeli Jew in the West Bank who believes in equality, who is against apartheid and loves the kids there and wants them to share in his joy. And he says, as a result of, of what they're doing, again, the kids will have something to do. They will develop a skill. It will give them a discipline. Um, and it's perfectly clear from the videos we've seen that they absolutely adore him. So if you think about that, two very different kinds of projects yeah. that we support. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that gives you an idea of the sort of people we are and of the sort of things we want to achieve. Mm. Uh, and we tell people here about what we're doing. Um, and um, they, they, they like what we're doing and they learn from what we're doing. And we say we do this uh, as Jewish people. And in the last uh, in the last few weeks, for example, we have been raising money for trauma support, so that when things do, however they do, settle down a bit in Gaza, we'll be able to say to the people we know there, um, you know, what do you need? We've got some extra money. We want to help you with the kids that have survived and the families that have survived to start rebuilding your lives and always remember we're a jewish group and we we don't want this to be happening to to you we want you to live in a a peaceful uh, and equal society and they all know we're a jewish group mm. and they're very very grateful and and happy to to be working with us. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about assisting uh, where where possible, isn't it? I mean, uh, unfortunately, we 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 are we have ca caught up with the time, and uh, we would have loved to love to have you on for longer. Um, but uh, but but yeah, we we are coming up to the news now as well. So thank you, uh, Naomi, for for being with us, answering our questions, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That was Naomi Wayne, secretary uh, at uh, BSST, uh, the British uh, Jewish charity, which was founded in two thousand and four. Um, just coming back to the the Haifa Interfaith Event and London Prayers for Peace event, the Jew Jew Arab gathering hosted by the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community in Haifa serve as a powerful testament to the potential for unity and understanding, even in the midst of heightened tensions. The images and posts circulating online depict a hopeful and positive narrative, countering the prevailing atmosphere of fear and division. Uh, the attendees' expressions of uh, relief and hope underscore the positive um, influence that uh, such programs can have on individuals facing uncertainty and fear. 
in a region where um, marked by discord and conflict, the act of unity and inclusivity um, uh, becomes a, a beacon of hope, illustrating the transformative power of dialogue and understanding. The community's dedication to the message of love for all, hatred for none is not only a powerful motto, but also a guiding principle that is actively shaping the community's interactions and contributions. The long history of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community efforts, um, its efforts uh, towards peace and reconciliation among Jews and Arabs in the Holy Lands underscores a sustained commitment to fostering positive change. Um, as the community um, continues its essential endeavor it contributes to a narrative of resilience and cooperation, challenging the prevailing atmosphere of tension by promoting unity and inclusivity. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community sets an example for others and inspire collective efforts towards building a more harmonious and understanding society. Furthermore, the multi-faith gathering at the Battle of Thu Mosque over here, uh, which took place on November the 5th, was a significant event promoting unity, condemning hatred and cruelties, and advocating for peace in the aftermath of the Israel-Palestine war. As uh, Britain's largest mosque, it brings together diver diverse faiths and communities, emphasizing um, interfaith solidarity and prayers for justice and humanity. Uh, more on this, you can you, uh, you can read on um, the, the summar su summaries and things, um, uh, for, uh, and signpost listeners to to, to 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 NTA, the Analyst News, and the Review of Religion as well for 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 more on this. Unfortunately that is all the time that we have for you today we hope you have a wonderful day ahead and a beautiful week as well um, here is the nine o'clock news